It's Tuesday, March 1st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The West has pressed on with more sanctions and economic punishment for Putin and Russia, causing the ruble to crash and closing down their stock market. The big question still remains. How long can Putin let his country feel the economic effects of a prolonged attack? For now, U.S. officials have ruled out imposing a no-fly zone for fear of a larger conflict. The invasion is even affecting other countries such as Germany, which has pledged to dramatically increase its defense spending. Nahal Tusi, senior foreign affairs correspondent at Politico, joins us for how a harsher strategy is being taken with Putin. Next, we are seeing doctors around the world reporting that patients are coming in with the sudden onset of Tourette's-like tics. Particularly, they are seeing more teenage girls which do not fit the typical profile of someone with Tourette's. And more interesting, many of them seem to share the same outburst, leading some to believe that social media could be behind it. Theories have gone around suggesting it could be mass psychogenic illness or another condition called functional neurological disorder. Helen Lewis, staff writer at The Atlantic, joins us for what could be behind these new style tics. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We must make him pay a price, an economic price. Uh, you know, he has to understand this unprovoked aggression, this brutality. Uh, he's going to pay a very, very heavy price for this. Joining us now is Nahal Tusi, senior foreign affairs correspondent at Politico. Thanks for joining us, Nahal. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, over this past weekend, we really seen the penalties against Russia start being ratcheted up. You know, last week we saw some sanctions, rounds of sanctions by President Biden and some other European allies. Uh, a lot of people were asking for more, especially in the Ukrainian government. As I mentioned this past weekend, there was a lot more stuff that was going on, some specific sanctions and penalties directed at President Vladimir Putin himself. We've done more to shut down the Russian banking system so they uh, really can't uh, do much there. The European Union has uh, restricted some airspace over Ukraine. So there's been a lot more stuff. Everything's been pumped up a little more. So Nahal, tell us a little bit more of what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, so you laid it out pretty well. I will just say, like, this is historic, really. Like, this level of sanctioning and isolation of a country, the size and with the economy, and the international weight of Russia is absolutely unprecedented. And what really seems to have happened is the European countries, some of which have kind of been skeptical of Putin even invading in the first place, they have finally opened their eyes and they finally seem to get it. Even Switzerland, which is typically neutral, is saying, yeah, we're going to enforce sanctions. And it's not just sanctions. I mean, it's everything from going after corrupt assets of oligarchs to kicking out Russian propaganda channels. And it's just all sorts of stuff that just came together over the weekend. And it was just one blow after another. I could barely keep up. And then when I turned to my sources on this, I, you know, being a reporter who doesn't, you know, know anything, I was like, so it looks like you guys are getting pretty serious, right? And they just laughed at me. They're like, you think this is pretty serious? This is insane. This is blowing the lid off. This is like just going nuts. And so, yeah, and already we are seeing the effects on the Russian economy. The ruble has crashed. They wouldn't even open the stock market today. Yeah, so it's really big deal. And so that's what we're seeing, right? The effects are starting to take place there in Russia. The As you mentioned, the ruble crash. We're seeing lines and lines of Russians hitting banks, trying to get their money out. And the larger question, though, right, because when the early sanctions are going on, everybody's saying, well, Putin doesn't care about this. 
now it's starting to affect the country and will affect them for some time, it seems like. But his troops have a mission, right? They're there to take over Kiev. They're there to oust the government, the Ukrainian government. And how long does this go before it's too much for Russia? That's the big question. And I think, you know, a, a lot of people are pretty happy with how things went this weekend. And some people are saying this is the beginning of the end. But the thing is, the for Vladimir Putin, but the thing is, the end can drag out for a very, very long time. A lot of people on a number of occasions thought that Bashar Assad of Syria was on his way out and he's still there. And so this is the type of thing where we could end up with, you know, a really ugly situation, a quagmire, a stalemate in Ukraine that is absolutely vicious. And Putin, because he has so much control, he really has no checks on his power anymore. And he's stubborn. And he's not the kind of guy who likes to back down. And he's even, you know, waving the nuclear wand a little bit. So I think that the days ahead are going to be super, super nerve-wracking, to be frank, and everybody's going to have to figure out exactly how to walk a proper line and make Russia leave. Uh, because as long as Putin's, you know, in his palace, I just don't think he even necessarily realizes how bad things are. Yeah. And to your point about the European allies coming on board with a lot more tough positions on all this, you know, everybody's kind of agreeing now things have gotten out of hand. They started seeing the pictures. They started seeing all the violence and what is truly happening out there. And for the U.S. and all of these allies, right, Ukraine is not a NATO member, so they're not going to get involved. That's This is the mechanism of the support that we're giving them. Obviously, we're helping with you know weapons and other things like that, but none of these countries have committed to soldiers, to uh, people fighting this war. Ukraine is on their own in that sense of things. That's correct. But a lot of them are also looking at their own defenses anyway, because they're worried that somehow this could spill over into them. Now, the U.S. has already sent additional troops to NATO countries. But Germany, I mean, Germany, you know, is reversing like decades of policy and it's going to beef up its defense spending to more than 2%. It created a $100 billion one-time fund to just invest in its armed forces. It's shipping weapons to Ukraine. Like, these are like, I mean, Finland is talking about joining NATO. These are things, it's actually ex- astonishing because, you know, if Putin wanted to divide and weaken NATO, he literally did the opposite. Like, it is, I've never seen NATO, Europe, the EU, and the U.S. more united. And then you also even have other countries, Canada, of course, which is in NATO, but also Japan of the G7, Australia, other countries, and are there, everybody's piling on, not to mention there's private companies that are also taking actions, you know, everybody from Google to Facebook to, you know, more traditional companies that are in their own way abandoning Russia. And even like, you know, the the football federation, FIFA, which is famously right. corrupt, is, is basically imposing penalties on Russia. And that is really amazing. It's like, I feel like it's sort of like everybody suddenly feels like there's space to do this stuff. And so you're seeing like entire paradigm shifts. Nahal Tusi, Senior Foreign Affairs Correspondent at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And one of the things that was most telling to me when I talked to the German doctors about this is that, you know, some of the specific phrases that some of these mostly girls were saying were ones that they associated with, you know, people, influencers on the internet, Tourette's influencers, as I call them. So, it wasn't that hard to kind of trace back to the kind of content they might be watching a lot of on the internet. Joining us now is Helen Lewis, staff writer at The Atlantic. Thanks for joining us, Helen. Thank you very much for having me. 
want to talk about this interesting story, something we've talked about on the podcast before, where doctors around the world have started noticing that teenage patients are reporting the sudden onset of ticks, Tourette's-like ticks. And, you know, a lot. Uh, there was a Wall Street Journal report that went around that was asking the question, could social media, could TikTok specifically be helping fuel some of this, where people that were not really in the typical category of someone with Tourette's was starting to develop these types of symptoms. So, you know, it was a very interesting thing at the time, but, and you wrote a lot in a lot more detail about this. So Helen, what are we seeing with this? These, a lot of the doctors are calling them new style ticks. Yeah, I struggled to find um, the right way to encapsulate them, but you're exactly right. I think that's the most um, neutral way of describing them. The typical Tourette's patient is a, is a boy who presents for the first time about age five to seven with very simple vocalizations or motor tics, so blinking or coughing. So, you know, that's the kind of person that these Tourette specialists, pediatric Tourette specialists, are used to seeing a lot of. And then as time goes on, often their, their tics will, will develop. And, you know, the kind of sort of swearing and cursing and um, saying socially unacceptable things, that's, that's only about a fifth of people actually do that. You know, it's, the, it's one of the things that you most associate with the illness because it's one of the things that's most kind of eye-catching. But um, it's it's not actually something that everybody with, with Tourette's does. But this new population were different. You know, they were arriving over the last couple of years in, in these clinics. And, you know, in some cases, they'd had mild ticks before, and now they were having sort of sudden explosive attacks of ticks. Or in some cases, you know, they hadn't got a history at all, and they'd, they'd kind of come out of nowhere. And one of the things that was most telling to me when I talked to the German doctors about this is that, you know, some of the specific phrases that some of these mostly girls were saying were ones that they associated with, you know, people, influencers on the internet, Tourette's influencers, as I call them. So it wasn't that hard to kind of trace back to the kind of content they might be watching a lot of on the internet. Yeah. And that was the thing that clicked for the doctors is that commonality, right? They were developing these things later in life. They were saying a lot of the same phrases and actions. And that's the thing that was clicking for them. And, you know, before the pandemic, you note in the article, about 3% of pediatric patients at Johns Hopkins uh, had Tourette's or, you know, were diagnosed with Tourette's. Later, that rose to 10 to 20%. You know, so they were seeing this increase of it. And a lot of this stuff was being done, a lot of this early work was being done in Germany where the doctors were seeing some of this specific stuff happening. Yeah, there's um, an influencer who's very big on YouTube called Jan Zimmerman. And he's got these very specific vocalizations. So he'll say, fliegende Hai, which means flying sharks, or du bist hasslich, which means you're ugly. And these were the exact same phrases that were coming out of the, the mouths of teenagers. Actually, it's about 50-50 gender split in, in Germany, although almost everywhere else in the world, it's been more girls than boys. So they would obviously ask the children, you know, have you been watching this influencer? And lots of them would be really cagey about it, actually. And that was an interesting dynamic that they found too. And the thesis that I develop in the piece is really that talking about children who have had a really rough couple of years, you know, lots of COVID disrupted schooling, lots of worry about the pandemic. Some of them might live in families where people have lost jobs or been laid off or been on furlough or other kinds of things. And, and what I hope people get from this article is a level of sympathy. You know, these, I would just be absolutely clear about this. These children are not faking an illness. These teenagers have something that is causing them quite severe distress. It's just quite important to say that yeah. it doesn't look like Tourette's and it shouldn't be treated like Tourette's. 
Right. That's the big question that I think a lot of people were getting confused about. Is this Tourette's? Is social media causing this stuff? And to your point, no one's arguing that the pandemic caused this, but the lockdowns and all that could have exacerbated this stuff, especially when people are going on social media. As you mentioned, this uh, uh, Zimmerman uh, fellow had two million YouTube followers. And when you go to uh, TikTok, I mean, there's billions of views for hashtag Tourette's and things like that. So, I mean, this is where people that might be afflicted with something like this or feel these new style tics, they find community with others and acceptance and validation. And then that could promote more of it happening. There are also other theories of what's going on, something called mass psychogenic illness. And there was an interesting thing that happened in Leroy, New York, that really started getting people thinking a different way about all this. Yeah. So what happened in Leroy is that a, a group of girls suddenly started sort of shaking and spasming and twitching. And there, were, there was, a, you know, it was a big, as, as often happens in these cases, there were lots of cheerleaders involved, although there were also, you know, they weren't all in the same class, which is what you would classically see with an outbreak of kind of contagious ticks of that kind. And the, the sad thing about what happened in Leroy was that the, the families were absolutely convinced there was some kind of environmental problem. Erin Brockovich, you might remember from being played by Julia Roberts, turned right. up, you know, to try and, and prosecute this thesis. But there, there wasn't anything happening. You know, what had happened was that these girls had got quite stressful lives in a number of different ways, and they had had this effect on each other. And as you say, the diagnosis is mass psychogenic illness. That used to be called mass hysteria, but that's now seen as a kind of outdated and offensive term because this isn't about silly women, you know, creating something out of nothing. This is about very real psychic stress in people's lives kind of coming out of them in physical symptoms. Yeah. And in that case, there was about uh, 18 people that developed some of this, uh, mostly, as you mentioned, the cheerleaders. There was one boy, there was also a 36-year-old woman, and there was a lot of media attention, as you mentioned. All of this kind of amps up that stress, and a lot of it started going away once the story started dying down. So that kind of led them to believe, you know, there was no environmental thing. There, you know, it wasn't a more serious, nefarious thing going on. Right. And I think it's one of the things that people maybe have difficulty understanding is that when you talk about things being mass psychogenic illnesses, you're not saying there's there's nothing wrong with people. You're saying perhaps it's just not the thing that you might superficially think. And you know, that implies to lots of other things. Gulf War syndrome, for example, when you had soldiers who came back from the Gulf War and wondered if there'd been some kind of munition that had been used against them. But actually, it was now what we'd call post-traumatic stress syndrome. Lots of the cases of Havana syndrome, where there's, there's been talk about this being a sort of sonic weapon that's been used on diplomats. Well, the army has now come out and said, there are a handful of unexplained cases, but we feel pretty confident about saying that the rest of them are, fall into this category of psychological and social illness. So it's, you know, it's something that happens a lot through history. You can put down the kind of, you know, the Salem witch hunts to, down to, to something like this. It's, you know, it's extraordinary. I, there was so much stuff I had to cut out of the article, so <laughs> right. much interesting research. Benjamin Franklin used to go around with this musical instrument called a glass harmonica. And people decided that it was causing all these terrible symptoms and people were fainting. And of course, he played it until a pretty ripe old age with absolutely no ill effects at all. But it was a new technology. And that in itself seems to have provoked some kind of you know, adverse reaction in some people. So is the new argument that what we were seeing in these situations with these teenage girls developing these tics, is it a form of mass psychogenic illness because they're consuming so much of this on social media, on platforms like TikTok and so forth? Or is it something else? Uh, you know, others call these things functional tics, you know, which is 
just kind of things that kind of get exacerbated by other influences is, you know, where, where are we leaning towards now with the argument? The fact is that there are some patients for whom simply saying, you know, this is not Tourette's, this is something that is being really wound up in you by consuming this kind of content, dial down on watching that. That makes, you know, not sometimes makes the problem go away, sometimes really diminishes it. So there are definitely patients who fall into that category. There might be other ones who do have something like mild Tourette, something they call people perhaps who are tick prone, you know, in the same way that some of us are prone to stress eating, for example. And, you know, most of the time it's we're, we're uncontrolled, but you have a really stressful life event and suddenly you can't kind of get your face out of the fridge. And the similar thing might happen with ticks. You know, you might be somebody who is who is prone to reacting to stress or trauma in that way. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to make blanket diagnosis about individuals, but certainly the Tourette's Association of America, and I think this is really important, has tried to distinguish between these new style tics and classic Tourette's, not least because one of the ways you treat Tourette's is with antipsychotic drugs, really quite strong drugs. And they are useless on, on, on functional tics, on ones that are not caused by Tourette's. So you absolutely don't want to be prescribing those to under 18s unless they're medically necessary. So although, you know, it will cause a bit of a backlash, I'm sure to say you don't have the condition that you think you do. That's something that needs to be said so that people don't end up getting the wrong treatment. Right. And so what is, uh, has there been any type of treatment for the new style ticks? Obviously, we're not going to give them the drugs or anything, but is it, uh, is it counseling? Is it therapy? I mean, what are they, how do they try to treat this at least? Right. They try and look at people in, in the round and see what else is going on in their lives. And for some people that might be, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. There are types of retraining because, you know, if you sit, the idea is that the ticks are kind of giving people something, they're giving people an outlet for something. Well, actually, how can you retrain the pathways of the brain in order that you, you don't do that anymore? You don't put yourself into a kind of feedback loop. For some of them, medication for anxiety or depression might be appropriate. For others, it might be about talking therapies. But what it means is just making sure that, you know, the people who've got these tics get the right treatment. And that often involves steering them away from the wrong treatment. And kind of dovetailing off of that, would there also be a recommendation to steer away from social media? As I mentioned, a lot of people kind of feel a sense of community and and belonging and acceptance. You know, if, if you're afflicted with something like that, even these new style tics is... There have been recommendations for them to keep off of that to help with it. Yeah, that's the recommendation from the Tourette Association of America is to just try and cut back on it. Because if you are someone who's tick prone, then watching people do these ticks, you know, Evie Megfield, who's one of the influencers that I mentioned in the piece, you know, she's posted content about how she feels about the fact that one of her ticks, which is saying beans, you know, is being done. You can see it in other videos. And in fact, the doctors I spoke to, you can see it in patients who turned up. So, you know, there is this kind of echo phenomenon where people right. repeat the ticks that they've seen and actually spending a bit less time. I mean, I think we probably almost all of us could do with spending a bit less time on our smartphones. <laughs> right. But certainly for, for children, it's really it's difficult if, um, if you're talking about teenagers who find community and acceptance and, you know, they might feel like a bit of a misfit and an oddball, particularly when the ticks get quite severe and they want to see that other people are kind of living with this and surviving through this. That's, you know, that's quite uplifting, I think, for some people. But at the same time, it can be something that puts you in a loop of copying them and echoing them. So, yeah, um, the advice definitely is, is about being restrained with how much of that content you, you consume. Well, I mean, it's all very, very interesting. I hope there's more research done on this so we can continue to try to understand it a little bit better. Helen Lewis, staff writer at The Atlantic. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at 
Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.